Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life is a canvas. Listen as Dr. Allison R. Tendler and her guests paint the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders on her podcast, The Art of Seeing Clearly. Through insightful questions and thought-provoking conversation, Allison and her guests explore the essence of what it means to truly experience life, business, entrepreneurship, love, success, and even failure through a clearer lens. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Dr. Allison R. Tendler, board-certified ophthalmologist, surgeon, and owner of, and CEO of Art Vision at Artisan Skin and Laser Center. Although I literally get to work every day to help people see better on the 2020 eye chart, I know this much to be true, that true clarity in life and in business requires really a different kind of vision. I have a passion for learning how other entrepreneurs and leaders find their clarity, and I simply want to share with you some of their secrets to success. Today I have with me a longtime acquaintance, Lon Strohshine, whom I cannot wait for our listeners to learn from and be inspired by. Lon's entire professional career has been built on problem solving and building teams that produce a lasting impact. His bosses tend to put him where the problems are, and he tends to turn those problems around. His style is not to force change, but to inspire and then lead it. Lon's 20-year executive career includes overhauling the outreach program for United States Senator in the early 2000s, creating a strategic finance department for a $4 billion bank with clear mission that changed that bank's trajectory, and from 2008 on, working for an internationally known company, Raven Industries, to develop sales teams, build an aerospace and defense strategy for that company, lead 10 merger and acquisition transactions for over 300% growth, and most recently helped them create a win-win acquisition by CNH Industrial. Just this January, however, Lon left his 20-year executive and corporate career to write the second half of his story, which includes focusing on furthering the professional training and development of others, helping them find the answer to that question, is there more? We will discuss this program, Normal 40, and much more. And I'm going to say, holy schmoly, Lon, we've got a lot of things to talk about today, share, and I simply can't thank you enough for joining me today to discuss your art of seeing clearly. Well, thank you so much for having me, Allison. Welcome. I mean, with that that resume, you've done a lot. Um, 
And I've known you since, I don't know, I'll say after the senator part, but in the early banking part. Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't even know how that exactly came about. But uh, <laughs> for the listeners out there, Lon and I have known each other since um, he helped me get a home loan at that very bank that he worked at. You were a client of mine. I was a client of yours. So that was that was the first time that Lon and I got introduced to each other. And even at that time, um, there's just that, you could just tell that there's something you know special about you and that um, I was young too, but you're going places and you went places. Well, likewise. (laughs) So one of the last times we visited, and I don't remember when that is, uh, we spoke about farming and uh, we were talking about how the aerospace industry was helping guide tractors in the fields. I don't know if you remember that conversation at all, but you grew up on a farm. And how do you feel that um, that farm history helped shape your view of leadership and helped develop some of your problem solving skills? Yeah. So let's talk about where that farm is first. Yeah. So the the family farm and it's still in the family. My folks, uh, my dad's 82 and my mom's 77. By the way, your dad has a stellar mustache. He's got he's a real cowboy. I'm all hat and no cattle. (laughs) He's legit. He's got cattle, hat, handlebar mustache, the limp. (laughs) He's, he's, he's legit. And he wears a really cool cowboy hat. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does. He does. When I wear one, <laughs> even though I'm going home to the farm and I'm doing farm work, my friends tend to call it my costume. <laughs> and I insist <laughs> not, to them. Not your work clothes. No. Not like their farm. No. It's your costume. I can't even pull it off with my friends. <laughs> it's a costume to them. But, but for my dad, it's, it's, it's legit. Yeah. Um, and, and the farm, I went to high school in Warner. So that's in the northeast uh, part of the state. Well, south near of Aberdeen. Aberdeen. Yep. yep. Yeah. So how do you feel that that history of yours has helped shape kind of the uh, leader, executive, corporation, coach, dreamer, all those things that have come in? How has that shaped you? A whole bunch of ways. And it, and it goes way back. I remember uh, some of my earliest memories. I've, I've had to relive them kind of in hindsight yeah. because through the windshield at the time, it it was just how things were. Yeah. And in in the mid 1980s, I was you know 10, 12 years old, and like so many farmers at that time, it was a horrible time to be a family farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, interest rates were going from mid single digits to low, uh, well actually 20, 21, 22 percent compounding regularly. And if you were a farmer that was at all in growth mode, you just didn't survive it. You just yeah. didn't. And yeah. and our family survived it, but it wasn't without um, injury. We, um, my parents, there again, I was I was ten to twelve years old. My parents uh, uh, lost some farmland, um, and they had a decision to make. There again, me being totally oblivious at the time, they had a decision to make about you know is Chapter Eleven a path ahead, or are we going to liquidate and sell some land and come out the other side without without the uh, the ding to the pride of, of having to cl- say that they felt bankruptcy. And they ultimately mm-hmm. decided to downsize, sell, and not to file. Mm-hmm. And that's a long way of saying what, what, what shaped me was the fact that they could be parents going through something that I can't imagine how excruciating it was. And, and the scary. conversations they were having. And the fear. And the yeah. fear. And the things that I go through now as a parent. And they did it in a way that I was oblivious to it. I still got to have friends over. I still got to do things that were fun. Uh, I was still involved in sporting activities. I still took time to do all those things. And so as a parent, 
it's shaped me in that way. And that's a farm thing and it's a parent thing, uh, but that's that's certainly a, a wonderful way that it shaped me. Mm-hmm. Another way it shaped me, there again as a parent, but also as an executive, is to get dirty. Go out, find a problem, and get dirty. Don't expect somebody else is gonna show up, drive down the road and do it. They're not. It's you. And whatever tool belt you're wearing, whatever you know magical tool you've got in your possession is the only thing you've got to fix the problem, so go do it. And, and I've, inst- I've tried very hard, both my wife and I have tried very hard to instill that in our kids. Um, and to see a problem, understand a problem, and be part of the solution. You might not get it right, it might not work out, but don't just stand there and watch. Go do something. And I think those are, you know, just some some elements. And the last thing I'll say, and it's really come back around as I've hit middle age, and that is, I believe people need a place. I think people need a place. And it can be a physical place as it is for me in the farm. And I go home to the farm and I put on my costume, as my friends would say. How often do you get to go home? So I get home... Um, not all that much in the winter, but in the summer, I really make it an effort to get up there to do what my parents would call the glory jobs. Playing? Yeah. You're playing. That's right. I help with planting and then I leave (laughs) and then I help with chasing some cows and then I leave. I can imagine how that looks in your costume. And then I help with harvest and I leave and then when all the real work is done, I'm, you know, doing something else. I'm nowhere to be seen, but I do get up there and my kids love it. Um, I'm, I'm blessed enough to be a pilot, so I do, you know, it takes a three and a half hour drive and turns it into an hour flight, and I'm able to get up there um, probably five or six times a year. You mentioned that you were kind of the go-to guy for problem solving. So we were talking about problem solving that you've learned on the farm, problem solving that you've brought to, you know, your life. It's like, how do we solve those problems? What do you know that others may not that helps you effectively solve complex issues taking that issue doing it solving it what do you like what type of superman powers do you possess that's another costume you could wear <laughs> yeah, well, I well that that would especially be a costume uh <laughs> you know um i think it kind of goes back to something i already said and that is show up show up and get dirty and if you're willing to just do that you're ahead of 90 percent of the other people who might show up tangentially and observe, but they're not going to risk themselves, damage to their ego, damage to their reputation, damage to their brand. They're not going to go all in and, and risk that. So if you're willing to show up and engage and try to understand the situation, you're ahead of most of the people in the pack and you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. If you ask the people around you, learn from people who have been there and are in whatever situation you're trying to work through. And if you bring them into the process and collectively you try to think through what is the best case scenario and what's the next step we got to take to get there. And you, you, you build that camaraderie with that understanding and you cast that new vision and you bring it all the way back to what's the next step. You build, a, you build a team around you that wants to, they're invested in success, that they want to be successful, and, and they'll, they'll deliver for you. What other aspects of that team that you feel are 
components of that high functioning team that you've worked with? Because you've got people coming in from all different levels, backgrounds, um, and you say showing up, they'll show up, but do they perform? So how do you get that team to perform? And what, as a leader, do you feel like you need to possess? Because there are leaders and then there are leaders. Yeah. You can have different kinds of leaders. How do you get that team to perform? How do you get them to, like, tools, tactics, anything that you found? This is, no matter what problem I've been in, this is how I assemble that team. Absolutely. And for me, this is this is quite simple. It's build the vision. Build the vision and the strategy to get there. And the strategy is going to change. The strategy is going to change. If it's a, it's a five-year strategy, it's going to change every quarter between now and that five years. It will. So you've got to be able to pivot. But the vision for where you're going and the vision for who you're going to be shouldn't. That should be locked in. Um, so you've kind of keep that as your North Star. And you create a strategy that gets you there. And then you back that strategy instead of um, at the five-year end mark all the way back into what we have to accomplish in the next 60 days. And then everybody walks out of that meeting with, I've got my... I've got my obligations to the rest of this team for the next 60 days that we've agreed are important. I know my role. I know what I'm expected to do. I know how it impacts the strategy. And I know how it helps fulfill the vision. And when if you've got a team of two or a team of 2,000, if everybody understands how they impact where you're going, they align. And that is alignment and trust are the two in essential ingredients that you have to add to that vision and strategy. If you don't have those two things, you don't have a vision or a strategy that's going to be successful. You have to communicate in a way that provides clarity and alignment. And that sounds so easy, though. That cannot be, I mean, how do you take that, something that sounds so easy, but it's not really that easy? Or is it that easy? No. it's it's. So how do you get there as a leader? Well, if you're like me, you fail a few times at it first. Okay. And Good. So failing, failing is not bad. Yeah. So, so uh, tell me how you like to take that because it's like, oh yeah, have clear communication. Sounds really simple, right? And it's one of the struggle buses always. So, what's like, how did you fail in order to succeed? Yeah. Well, going back to communication, when you're, um, and I'll go back to when I was leading a. Uh, uh, $80 million division, and there was about 600 team members in that division. And I, know, I, would... I know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the story then. I know the story <laughs> so you can just follow along. This is for other people. That's right. It's for others. It's not for me. All right. For the listeners, it's for you. But yeah. it was so common. I would go and we'd have quarterly addresses, and I would, I would remind people sometimes only on an annual basis, sometimes on a semi-annual basis. I would, but I would, I would remind people, this is our vision, this is our strategy, here's where we're going. And I would get done with that and I'd think, my job's done. I have communicated what I need to do as a leader. And what I realized was, no, because they weren't listening. Nobody's really listening. They're making good eye contact and you're standing up there and you're thinking, boy, I'm really connected. You're taking notes. Or- yep, all those things. And you think because you said it once and it's clear to you, it's clear to everyone. And it takes you a while and it takes some frustration before you realize, look, just because I understand it and I'm, I'm, 
I believe it in my core to be the right thing. And I'm making decisions. The, the, the team is making decisions to take us there. If I'm not saying it at least 10 times more than what I feel I should, I'm not saying it enough. If it's not coming out in every email, every correspondence, that reminder, here's our vision, here's our strategy, here's your job. I think that's really, I mean, that is really key. I personally don't like saying things multiple, multiple times. It's like, eh, you just feel like a broken record. Nobody needs to hear it. You said it once. Why should I say it again? Those types of things. But what you're saying is exactly the opposite. And that's a key learning strategy is continue to repeat, repeat, repeat on what the vision, mission, and what's expected of of that team. So 10 times. 10 times. You as the individual responsible for saying it, if you are not just sick of saying it, you haven't said it enough. And that is just the truth. It's not getting through. And until you hear it repeated back to you, not once, not from the people who work directly for you, but from people who work several layers below you or from your customers, that's when you know, all right, I'm saying it about enough. They get it, they believe it, and we as a team and a company are living it. Yes, and then what happens? You can measure it because everybody knows where you're supposed to be by now, and you can measure it. And then everybody starts talking about it. But if you stand, and I've done it, I've done it for years, mm-hmm. where you deliver a message once and you think, I've done my job, mm-hmm. no. Great speech, I did a really nice, That's nice right. intro, nice <laughs> outro, yay, good for me. That's right. All right, everybody, get to work. <laughs> It's not like the PowerPoint presentation at some some you know uh, speaking engagement that you're doing. That's right. It's a and little that, different. And that creates that's one of the keys that creates the alignment that you have to have alignment and trust. Um, and and then the other place is just constant alignment with the people who are most responsible for each of the functions of the strategy to um, for that team to remain aligned with one another. Be open and candid about what the opportunities are where the problems are, and have the courage to hold people accountable. When I they think that's a, you know, one of our values is accountability. And I think easier said than done on both ends to be accountable and to hold people accountable. Um, how do you, what's a method that you have used to help you become a better accountability holder of your team? Um, so there's, you said it just right. There's a time when we need to be held accountable, and there's a time when we need to hold others accountable. And those draw on very different um, emotional wells within you. So how I um, had to rewire myself, we've all got egos. We all kind of don't want to be held accountable. We don't. And it's not that we don't want to be accountable. It's that we don't want somebody saying, you might not be doing what you said you'd do. That is hurtful and it for any of us with an ego, and by the way, most of us have an ego. It's hard to Well we all be have vulnerable. egos. We I do. mean we do we all have egos. It's just yes. how it how it shows up with each individual and what their personality right. and history. But if you can hold that in check and you can you can say you can open up the meeting and you can say, let's remember the purpose of this meeting is to here's your mission here's the strategy, here's what we were all responsible for achieving. And you remind everyone that their job is to hold one another accountable and that you too are part of that. It does 
the intention is to open the door for people to say, look, you said you were going to do this and I don't see where X, Y, and Z actually happened or can you give us an update or, you know, you're falling behind. What are you going to do to, to, to kind of catch up? Those are the elements of accountability. And um, if you as the leader can open it up and if you as a leader can demonstrate, you can take that. You as a leader are demonstrating to everyone in that room that they can also, you then have permission to hold them accountable, not as a boss, but as a peer. And you create that alignment amongst your group. And then that are the seeds of trust. Those are the things that when you can all of a sudden have a conversation that normally would be, well, he just he or she just is coming at my job and they, they're trying to bring me down to, you know what? I didn't get that done and that's on me. And now that's holding them back. I got to go do this. It, it just changes the whole dynamic. And that culture flows all the way down to yeah. your customer. Yeah. I think that's a um, really important aspect. And I think a lot of people can gain value from what we've just talked about. I still feel that... Um, you know, there's an emotional, psychological aspect to being held accountable as well as holding others accountable because there's that, how are they going to feel? How are they going to? But you're trying to take it in a systematic approach to say it's not about somebody as an individual or a person. It's about the job that needs to get done and our values and our, our core as a culture and what the company needs to achieve. That's right. I think one of the hallmarks of a great leader is the fact that they can be a great learner from the people they put around them. And if you can demonstrate that in a boardroom setting or an executive room setting, that in that room were peers and the decision will be made. And when the decision needs to be made, it will ultimately be made by the CEO or by the president or by whoever should make it. But the process to get that to get to that decision is collective. That is, that's the sign of a really, really powerful culture. Mm-hmm. And you feel you've had that culture and been able to establish that I a have. couple times in your I, career? I've been able to establish Or more it. than that, I presume. But. And I've, I've been really fortunate to uh, have been asked to be part of it. Yeah. Um, I was asked to be part of it when I was hired by a U.S. senator. I was asked to be part of it when I was hired by a bank. And I certainly was asked to be part of it uh, in the 14 years I spent at Raven. What was it? you think that they saw in you that maybe, you know, from a quality standpoint, what was it that they saw? I have no idea. <laughs> so let me, di- I, I don't know. And I've asked them, I've, I literally have asked them. So I mean, you're young, you really don't have a lot of, I mean, you've got drive and you've got ambition, but like experience leading those kind of things. So it's like, I don't know, how did it all work out for you, Lon? It seemed to work out okay, but... I had, I can tell you that I boil it down to this. There are uh, four men who took a risk on me mm-hmm. before I was ready. I, I wouldn't have, I, I cannot. That's, that's huge. Before uh, you were ready. They saw something in you before you were ready. That's right. And once they said, can you do it? The answer was hell yes. And I didn't allow myself to think, I have no idea what this is going to be. The answer was yes, and I'll figure it out. And I never, I never let on to anyone that I didn't think maybe I was ready. Um, but that's the an interesting was, difference between your thought processes and a lot of 
you know, other people's thought processes of we hear about the imposter syndrome, those kind of things. If that would have been me, I would have been like, uh, oh, that's not I'm, I'm not ready yet. Later in this stage of my life, I might have been like, I'm going to say yes, even though I might not feel like it's a yes, but I'm going to say yes and we're going to go for it. Um, that's just an interesting difference in thought processes. Yeah. You know, it is fascinating. Um, I was much, it was much easier for me before age 40 to just say, yeah, yes, I'll go do what it. What do I have to, what, what do I have to lose? Yeah. What I have, to, you want me to, you know, go create a division for a $4 billion bank? Great. I got this. Sure, I I've never this. lent a nickel to anyone but my sister. <laughs> Give me a house loan. <laughs> and she still hasn't paid me back. <laughs> Way to but, hold her accountable. That's right. Man. That's right. I was still building. I was Wait still building. She, she wasn't accountable. You didn't hold her accountable. <laughs> but but they they asked me and I said yes. And um, same with Raven. You know, there I was. I was a banker. I was I was doing residential and commercial real estate and started a private client group. And um, Raven, the 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 former CEO, came and said, "Hey, we would like somebody who understands agriculture." And understands business to go set up distribution for uh, uh, our for a publicly held company around the world. So go on behalf of Raven and create businesses in Latin America, Europe, Which South your Africa. Which political background also probably really helped you on because there's a lot of politics when you start working internationally. Absolutely, all of those things were there, but I I don't even know if I had a a passport. I mean, it's not like I was steeped in interna- international travel and, and international <laughs> banking Bay, regulation. Going to Perry, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So you know, there again, it was they asked, and I'm uh, and I, I just said, yeah, I'll go figure it out. But I want to come circle back to imposter syndrome and and how you feel along those ways. I think that in the first half of life, and I'm going to speak for dudes, the the climb and the risk is easier. It's easier when we're on the climb and we're, we see the thing before us as the next thing along our journey. Remember the mission and the strategy I talked about? When you're on that mission to get there, the climb and the trade, and I talk about this in Normal 40, everything's a trade. You're willing to make that trade. I was willing to trade the Senate for banking because I saw I didn't know that I wanted to be a banker, but it just seemed like, heck yeah, let's do that. And I traded the bank for Raven. And I, I didn't know that I wanted to go do international business and run an aerospace and defense contracting company. But when the opportunity came, it was, heck yeah, let's trade this. Um, but as as you get, as I've gotten older, and I think as dudes go through careers, and, and uh, women too, but I speak to dudes because I am a dude, that trade gets harder because what we're trading is bigger. So we take fewer risks when we get into our 40s than we I did wonder, in our 30s I and in our 20s. Women is, you know, part of me thinks is ours a little bit like we risk until a certain stage. And then I felt like, uh, no, I don't know that. I don't do that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. I'm not going to risk that. I'm not going to risk. And now I've and I see a lot of other women entrepreneurs like now I'm willing to risk again. I'm like, it's OK to risk now. I'm going to risk where we had years of not risking. So it's an interesting like. You said that about, and I've saw that about, you know, men in their 20s, 30s, like, why do they feel like, oh, yeah, I can do that? And it's like, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You know, why do they think that way when yeah. I don't think that way? But now, <laughs> so it's just an interesting, um, it is interesting totally transition. It is fascinating. There. And that's why I wanted to come back to it yeah. because you were saying that yeah. 
that later in your life risks got, have gotten easier. Where my experience for myself and, and from thousands of dudes that, that I've talked to, yeah. it's the opposite. And dudes get to this point in midlife, however you want to define it, um, and they they know that they are wired to do more or something different than they're doing, but they have no idea how to trade it. They can't walk away from what they've got. So that leads me into a, a question I had about, I mean, so we're kind of moving into the, you know, your new, uh, what do I say, second half of life, the, yeah. the normal 40, yeah. as you call it. And that was a, a wonderful transition into that. What is it, you know, and I think we've already talked about it, but maybe there's something else that it spurs that you, you have a thought on. What's different about men maybe now in there? And I'm you said 40s, but I'm also going to kind of go 50s, 60s because, you know, 60s, the new 40 type of thing. Right? <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> you still keep trying to look, make That's people right. look like that. <laughs> um, what is it that is getting in people's way? You know, is it is is that fear that's getting in their way now? What, what do you think most yeah. men or other, you know, other things that what's getting in their way that you're like, hey, I noticed this. Let's work on this. Yeah, man, you're you're asking the, the exact right question. So this for me, the normal 40 is a journey I'm on and I'm in the early stages. I'm in the early innings. I'm in the first inning yeah. of what I'm trying to build for normal 40. Um, what made you see the need? I was the need. I was my avatar. I was going through something. And remember we talked about earlier, when you have a problem, show up for it. I was, I, mm -hmm. let me just paint a picture. So um, I'm 47 today and probably around the age of 44. So not all that like long today? ago. Like today? No, no, not, oh, today's so not my birthday. Otherwise, we're going to say happy birthday to you. <laughs> I said on that air, one other time. On air, we were going to say I happy birthday. I need to birthday. say it right now instead of today because... <laughs> It, it, you know what? I'm, I'm like, going to say oh I'm gosh, 47 today. this on your birthday? <laughs> yes, this is awesome. Let's you get can just bring in the wine. champagne. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I like where this is going. No, not today. I'm 47 right now, let me say. And uh, and it's and probably around the age of 44. I was a, I, I was a public company executive. Um, I had I'd really done a nice job with my first half of life. We'd, we've talked about that, made good decisions. I was fortunate enough to have uh, smart, successful individuals take a risk on me. I was um, brought up in a way to where I could assess that and still be successful at it. And I got to, we'll call it the halftime of my life. If I lived until I was 90, I was at my life's halftime. If I worked until I was 60, I was at my professional halftime. And I got to the halftime of my life at roughly the age of 44, and I had done it right. And I, I had a strong marriage, I have, and I still do. I have healthy kids. I've got smart, bright kids, kids that contribute to society. Uh, I, ha I had at that time- Living the dream. Living the dream. I had a great job. I was paid, I, I was compensated beyond what I thought I would ever be compensated when I was in college. I mean, it was just, it was going great. But there was something inside of me that was just there saying, is this it? Because you're in halftime. You're in the locker room. You're, you're going to come out this door in another two years out of this locker room. And you better be certain, or you better at least have thought about, am I how am I going to play my second half? And that started to eat at me. And, mm -hmm. and am I sure 
that I'm going to play my second half the way I've played my first half. Am I going to stay where I'm at? Right. And am I going to take the same risks? And why aren't I? And so I started wrestling with that from me. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? Who can I talk to about it? Who and am I? I? That, you know, who do I want of, to be? That's right. Yeah. All of those classical, old, Don't cliche you know, you're questions. You're already in your 40s. Don't you know that already? <laughs> That's right. And you think you should. And your question goes back to what is that? Why don't you talk about it? Um, what I realized is there was nobody to talk to about it. No dudes. Um, and the other thing I realized is women will talk about it. They are much better about talking about where they're at, where they want to go. And they're better at it because they're okay within their network of friends being vulnerable vulnerable about what they do and don't know and who they are and who they want to be. And dudes don't you think do that. You th- we might talk more, but do you think we are know exactly who we want to be and what we want to do? And But the conversation... Think- peels at that onion. But when you're a guy and you can't talk about it and you can't talk about it because you don't want anyone knowing that you're you're not feeling potentially insecure. That's right. You're there's a chink in your armor. Maybe things aren't quite as good as you are. And what dudes will do is they'll start making assumptions. Oh, he's not really performing at work. Oh, the marriage is probably not as strong as he's portraying. And so because guess what? Most dudes make those same judgments whether we admit it or not. So there's nobody we can talk to. And one of the things I did is I'm a writer. I write, and that's how I process things. And I wrote a blog that I never in a million years intended to share with anyone. And it was a page and a half, and it's about how I was feeling as a dude, where I was at in life, how I felt I was on an autopilot. Things were safe and easy and good, but there might be more in me, and I don't want to. I don't know how to trade it. I don't even know how to define it. But I didn't quite feel fulfilled for where I was and how yeah. good things were for me. Then I felt guilty that I shouldn't just I be should thankful. Feel better. I should be grateful. That's I should right. Be happy. You go through all these emotions, and as a dude, we just keep them inside. So I wrote it, and I gave it to a CEO friend of mine. He's a CEO here in town, and I didn't put my name on it. I said, "Hey, just read this," and he read it, and he threw it back at me and goes, "Who wrote this?" And I said, well, why? He goes, because this is how I feel. And I said, you? You feel like this? And he said, yeah, who wrote it? I said, I wrote it. And he said, you feel like this? You look at each other and you're like, there's no way in the world that this dude feels like that. That's right. The successful CEO guy sitting across the table from me who I'm, you know, kind of intimidated by because the world is working out for him so well. Dudes, people. But dudes, because that is kind of my audience, go through something in midlife. And dudes need an outlet to talk about it. And once I discovered that this is normal, hence the name Normal 40, and it happens somewhere in midlife, hence the number 40. It's a feeling more than an age. um, That's where the impetus came from. I think that is is just amazing that to try to get a network of someplace that's safe to like yeah, this is this is real and to know it's it's okay i'm not going crazy i don't have to go buy a new car i don't need to move i don't need, like or maybe i want to but what is my what is my next chapter what is my next stage and what do i want it to be and actively saying it's okay to also have another stage that's right it's okay to have a completely different second half and what's your next dream that's right. It's a second story. And helping story. people people find out what's what's that next dream. I've always felt like there's 
we talk about there, you know, what is there something more, you know, is there more? Um, within me, it's always been like, okay, I still feel like there's something more. I don't know what that is exactly yet, but I'm going to still be working to try to find it. Yeah. You know, I just feel like there's something more. Um, but I'm okay saying that, whereas somebody else is like, why would I think there's something more? Yeah. So has anything um, surprised you about, you know, responses or how is how has the normal 40 been going? I've been um, shocked. I've been in awe. I've been... Uh, concerned i've been i've run through the range of the gamut of emotions and it started for me from what felt like a really vulnerable action and that was um sometimes that can bring the most power but one of the scariest things to put out it's that first step off the beaten path that is the hardest jump off the cliff it is the hardest. And, and in hindsight, it was tiny. But I remember, so I, I had a LinkedIn presence. Like, if you're not familiar with LinkedIn, if your listeners aren't, it's kind of a professional place. It's where you go. And most people, it's their resume. That you know. So the first half of lifers, the resume phase of lifers, want that on there so headhunters can find them. I mean, that's let's be realistic. There's an element of it from a corporate standpoint where corporation, corporations are out there because they're trying to recruit talent and it's very helpful. But it's a, it really is a very professional and well-run platform. And I was out there as a public company executive for all those things, to promote our products, to maybe meet new customers. I was out there doing research on, on companies we were looking to acquire and to build friendships uh, on the M&A front, all those things. And I remember I, I put a post out there probably nine months ago that wasn't about me as Lon the executive at Raven. It was Lon the dude. And it had nothing to do with Raven. And uh, and I remember sitting and staring at it. And I have I don't even remember what it said, but it was pretty benign based, compared to what I post now. And I remember thinking, my worlds are going to kind of collide here because the people at Raven are going to see who they think Lon the executive is mm-hmm. posting about something that's about something a little bit vulnerable and about change you go through in life and make sure you're spending your time wisely. Yes. Well, you can see how that would create a little. Absolutely. Hey, Lon, how's it going? Yeah, Shall that's we, right. Can we, is, can we talk? Is everything okay? Exactly. <laughs> Anything and it you'd happened. like to discuss, Lon? <laughs> the, the looks in the uh, cafeteria were different for a few weeks as I was doing that. And it was this insane feeling of vulnerability for me as I was trying to pry apart the social media executive lawn and the stuff I'm feeling. And But the more I go out there with, hey, look, this is normal. And you're gonna go through something and you can deal with it and own it, or you can ignore it now and regret it later that you didn't act. You're going, this is going to happen to you. You're going to face this. Trust me. And the more I punch there at you got a clock and you're not in control of it, you're probably in your life's halftime and you have control. No one else. No one's going to show up and change it for you. No one's going to ride in and, and give you the opportunity to do what you don't even know what you want to do. You own it. And the harder I punch there, what I call the awakening, the more dudes just come out of the woodwork mm-hmm. and the other you, really you interesting talk, you thing you talk about owning your own clock so i won't yeah, go but yeah. you do talk about owning your own clock so that's and sorry go ahead the other interesting thing so the interesting thing there and it goes right back to the stereotype of dudes in armor and not wanting to be vulnerable in any way and this would have been me four years ago probably only three years ago 
But when I post about these things, and I did it as recently as this morning, and I do it five or six times a week, so it's regular, um, I find that some dudes will comment, but probably 50% or 60 or 70%, even though I say dude, hey, dude, think about this. It's kind of clearly for men. Are women. Women are commenting. Women so are I just, I just uh, mouthed women because I've noticed that. I'm like, I know he's going to say that most response or a lot of response. I won't say most, but are from women because I see so much, you know, value in those statements for just personal growth and trying yeah. to find out who you are, whether you're a man or a woman. That's right. Whether you're a dude or a chick. That's right. But do you start calling them chicks? Well, I would. I, I love that. But I'm scared that there'd be, a, you know, some sort of backlash. The politician in me says, dudes, you can get away with as a dude, but you probably just want to talk about women. That that'll, will probably find a way to get me in trouble in and of itself. But the interesting thing about dudes is just as many comment, but they go to direct message. They come right to me because they can't. If they, they don't want to leave their they also DNA. They don't want to be vulnerable quite yet as they're searching. Even a like to something as benign as be sure you're doing what so you want to do. So behind the scenes, there's a lot going on. A lot. A lot more that dudes speaks, come. That speaks highly of how needed this is for people that are, no matter at what stage of level, but are trying to build leadership. Maybe they're an executive role or maybe they're not, but still just trying to build and better upon themselves. What, um, tell me about caring less about your resume and more about your legacy. Yeah. So I think you go through, David Brooks has a book um, called The Road to Character and it, it it's spectacular. It's spectacular. And he does a way better job He's David Brooks than, than most could. But um, he boils it down to virtues, uh, resume virtues, which I call the first half of life. It's all mm-hmm. the things that we do to build and grow and expand and make more and be more and show more and drive a better car and have a bigger house and Set have a late place. for the future and give ourselves yes. options and all these types it's of things. It's the resume virtues. It's all mm-hmm. of the things that we just can't get enough of. Mm-hmm. And at some point when you realize you're in halftime, you start to care a little bit less about your resume virtues and you start to care more about your eulogy virtues. What are they going to say when I, yeah, if, if I, if I pass away, what are they going to say about me? Here's one thing Mm. that they're not going to say if you pass away at age 90. Lon Strohschein, by the age of 40, made public company executive and managed to have 300,000 airline miles. That's not going to be, and if that is in my, if that is in my eulogy, oh my gosh, on my second half, it's kind of a disappointment. Actually, I think it should be just as a joke. <laughs> so whoever writes Lon's eulogy in the future should definitely put that in there just as a joke. I better write that down as a goal. You should write your own. Yeah. <laughs> better yet. Don't let this be my eulogy. But your eulogy is going to be about the things you achieved in the second half of your life. It's the things you've given away. And those are going to be the things they remember. What did you give away? Not financially. I'm not talking about dollars. I'm talking about Mm -hmm. time, wisdom, uh, personal engagement. What are those things that you invested in? They're, again, not financially, that you had an impact on, that shaped the, the, the endowment and the inheritance of the generation or two behind you. Those will be the things that will you will be remembered by. So what's your future plan for changing that eulogy in this 
I'm, what's your which because I know you don't like to go beyond like a one year plan for yourself, right? <laughs> so so what are you working on now to change that trajectory for yourself? I honestly uh, I'm following the omens, and I uh, I here's what I do know. Um, I I'm feeling called, and I'm not even saying that in the biblical sense, um, but I'm feeling called to be a leader in helping people write their second half story with intention. Your second half story might be to do exactly what you did in your first half for the company you're working for right now, but to do it better. The thing is you have to do it with intention because if you wait 15 years, you'll. this is your moment of regret. You're planting your seeds of regret if you don't apply intention to your second half. Or you might decide your second half story is to do something radically different. I opted to separate from a company after 14 years. And they'd be like, you're crazy. What are you doing, Lon? What What are you thinking? I promise you there are people in my circle who think I flamed out. My marriage is on the rocks. I couldn't hack it. I didn't get somebody, an offer. Somebody let him go. That's right. Those kind of things. Those are, and, and I knew that was part of the trade. And mm-hmm. I said, bring it on. Mm-hmm. Bring it on. I don't, I, I just... It's kind of a relief to not have to be burdened by what you, other people yeah. think about my reality. Why would you leave my what reality? you felt was safe? Why would you leave what was consistent? Why would you leave something that was bringing you to what other people might call a better, you know? That's right. Potentially better options for the... That's right. I say better in quotations, but better options. What you just described right there is what I call the box. And that's where you arrive at, at midlife. You, you work yourself into a box. And you've done all the things right and you're making good money and you're on your way for X, Y, Z. And you realize that things are so safe and so as you wanted them that you can't trade them. And that's why I punch on LinkedIn. And what we're talking about is Mm -hmm. the awakening. And you might stay in that box for the rest of your life, for the rest of your professional life. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if you're not intentional about how you want to either exist in that box or awaken to something else, then you're mm-hmm. gonna, you could regret that. Mm-hmm. How do you, um, you know, I kind of joked about not looking more than a year ahead, um, you know, for what's happening. Then you said something about omens, you yeah. watch for omens. And I, I really relate to that. I've always disliked the question of, well, where do you see yourself in five years from now? I have no idea where I see myself five years from now, but I do need to start planning for kind of three years, and I definitely need to kind of plan for one year, at least to set up knowing that things might change. But I I also kind of, I, I really listen to things around me, to myself, like what are my feelings? Where where do I need to head? What gives me energy? What makes me you know, think positively? Where does that take me? What brings me joy? and try to head in that direction. What do you do? Well, you, you nailed it. Um, I think I, th- I get better about saying no um, because everything sounds fun. Yes. Everything sounds kind of fun, especially when, guess what? I'm, I'm unemployed at this moment. So I get calls all the time and I'm like, everything sounds like a blast. Let's go do this and that. Um, and that's probably the, the curiosity part. You love to learn, you love to experience, absolutely. you know, and those are, those are traits I mean I enjoy too. Yeah. But but really being good and this started before just in the last month, but I, I've been getting much better as I've gotten older about saying no to things that just sound interesting so that I can save my yeses for things that really stir a passion. Mm-hmm. And and that sounds easy 
Do you have but something really already planned in the future that you've said yes to that's stirring a passion? Well, normal 40. Yeah. And I don't have, I don't, if, if it was a canvas, it would be some clouds in the sky. That would be as much of the, it would be as much of, of what I've got. But like I said, I'm feeling cold. My mission that I've, I wrote for myself is to help a thousand dudes write their second half story. And how that takes shape is the omens that I'm following. Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm on this podcast mm-hmm. is just an omen uh, when you reached out. And that is exactly what I said in my mind. This is an omen. These are things I'm going to go say do yes it. to. Yes. This is something I'm I'm being if I'm being called to be helpful, I need to be brave enough to be vulnerable to do things like this. Mm-hmm. So here I am. And and those are the types of things that I'm I'm saying yes to. I think I mean, thank you. I thought you were just coming because you like felt sorry for me and wanted to be on my <laughs> podcast or something. But I knew that we would have a great I knew we'd have a great time and I knew that our listeners could really glean and learn some insights for you for what you've done to you know, in the past few decades of your leadership, um, your strategy building skills, those things, building companies, but yet such an amazing transition and where are you heading now? And there's, there's, I'm going to use the word beauty in that. I use the word beauty a lot in my world, um, but there's beauty in that. I mean, like true heartfelt beauty in taking the risk, making that change, what your, what your plans are. You'll see where, see where things head. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a beautiful balance between certainty and uncertainty. And if you have too much of either, it's not healthy. Um, And for me, leaping into uncertainty like I am now, it is awesome. It is awesome. (laughs) I mean, it is. And I, I forgot how awesome it was to just go, to just go. And I walked away from, like I said, I walked away from something that I never thought I would even have in my lifetime offered to me, let alone say no to it. And I couldn't be happier with that decision because of the way I feel inside yeah. differently than than how yeah. I, I believe I would have felt over time, over time. staying. Mm-hmm. You felt you did, you, you've completed your job or that chapter at that time and you were ready to move on. We talk a lot in my world about uh, seeing the world better and seeing yourself better. That's my why behind what I do here in my office, um, no matter whether I'm doing eye surgery or we're working with aesthetics. What do you feel are some of your personal techniques that you've employed to help see yourself and the world more clearly? What do you do for Lon? Yeah, so I do a couple things. Um, I believe that we arrive here on this planet with two things, our body and our mind. That's it. And when we leave, we don't even get to take those with us. But they're the only things that are constant throughout our lifetime. And you, me specifically, I went through a big period of my life where I, I didn't take um, as good a care of either of them as I should have. So I'm much, much more intentional now about making sure that I take time for um, my body and working mm-hmm. out and just being healthy and what I put into my body nutritionally, Absolutely. it all really, really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's something you haven't done, listeners, it is the thing that can have the single largest impact on you today and you for the rest of your life. But it's a trade. 
I go back to everything in life being a trade. There's no shortcut. There's no easy button. Your diet is a trade. You give something up to you speak, get you speak a my language. new. Yes. Yeah, so it's a trade. And your mind's the same way. So you got to do things that I never in a million years would have thought I'd be doing when I was a farm kid. And that's meditate. And that's sit in silence. It's reading things that are not for entertainment. Uh, but comic for, books? No, you're well, done with those. No Superman I'm, comic books. I still got a few anymore. in my backpack. I mean, not exclusively. I thought I, I, thought I saw some sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> but but so those are those are some things that that I've done, and they they uh, they really matter. They really matter, but they're all a trait. Yeah, they are. Um, you again speak my language. I feel that way too, and and they're they're habits you have to get into. But I feel like. Taking care of your body helps take care of your mind. Taking care of your mind helps you want to take care. It just it feeds the whole system and I think makes you a better whole for yourself, which ultimately is a better better help and whole for others as well. Thank you Absolutely. for sharing that. Sure. Um, I, you know, we've had a wonderful conversation and I think we'll, you know, say, hey, we're going to bring it to a close. But I want to leave it with couple thoughts. I mean, new chapters in life are always amazing things, yet can be really scary for people. And and people, as they have others in their life, or we have gone through things, we've heard people like say, are you crazy? Why would you do that? Why would you leave that? Um, that makes no That makes no sense. But I feel like only by looking inward can we really truly see ourselves better outward and become our best selves. So thank you, Lon, for your amazing guidance. And I'd say for using your second half of life to empower others and help them find out their own questions, uh, the answers to their own questions of, is there more? Um, I think you've got a lot more chapters ahead of you. Um, this isn't the, the last one, but it might be a chapter to a book. Um, so maybe that's ahead, who knows? And I can't wait to see where um, the second half of life is taking you. So I think the world needs to watch out for Lance Drosham. So thank you for helping with my house loan decades ago so we got to know each other. And even more for spending some time with me today, taking precious, I feel time is one of our most precious commodities too. So thank you for spending some of yours with me and helping us uh, today see your art of seeing clearly. Absolutely, thank you for having me. And everything is a trade and this was a good trade. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.